seated. We turn in God's Word tonight then for the first portion of our reading, which will be from Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. You might also want to find Ezekiel chapter 28, as we'll also be reading from there later on in our message uh, this evening. But to begin with, we will be in Isaiah chapter 14. Let us hear then the reading of God's inspired and errant word to us. For the Lord will have compassion on Jacob and will again choose Israel and will set them in their own land and sojourners will join them and will attach themselves to the house of Jacob. And the peoples will take them and bring them to their place and the house of Israel will possess them in the Lord's land as male and female slaves. They will take captive those who were their captors and rule over those who oppressed them. When the Lord has given you rest from your pain and turmoil and the hard service with which you were made to serve, you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. How the oppressor has ceased, the insolent fury ceased. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of rulers that struck the peoples in wrath with unceasing blows, that ruled the nations in anger with unrelenting persecution. The whole earth is at rest and quiet. They break forth into singing. The cypresses rejoice at you, the cedars of Lebanon, saying, since you were laid low, no woodcutter comes up against us. Sheol beneath is stirred up to meet you when you come. It rouses the shades to greet you. All who were leaders of the earth, it raises from their thrones. All who were kings of the nations. All of them will answer and say to you, You too have become as weak as we. You have become like us. Your pomp is brought down to Sheol. The sound of your harps, maggots are laid as a bed beneath you, and worms are your covers. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms? Who made the world like a desert, who overthrew its cities, who did not let his prisoners go home? All the kings of the nations lie in glory, each in his own tomb. You are cast out, away from your grave, like a loathed branch, clothed with the slain, those pierced by the sword who go down to the stones of the pit, like a dead man trampled underfoot. You will not be joined with them in burial because you have destroyed your land, you have slain 
your people. May the offspring of evildoers nevermore be named. Prepare slaughter for his sons because the guilt of their fathers, lest they rise and possess the earth and fill the face of the world with cities. I will rise up against them, declares the Lord of hosts, and will cut off from Babylon name and remnant, descendants and posterity, declares the Lord. And I will make it a possession of the hedgehog and pools of water, and I will sweep it with the broom of destruction, declares the Lord of hosts. Let's fire the reading of God's word from Isaiah 14. Let's again bow in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we come to you this evening. Lord, we don't always think of Satan and his minions and the fight that goes on in the spiritual realms. Sometimes we rarely think about it. Yet, Lord, you tell us that is where the battle is fought. The battle is yours. It is won. We pray that you'll speak through, Pastor Bob, that you'll open our hearts and open our minds to understand this, that we may better pray, we may better serve you with the understanding of these things. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Our message tonight is slightly unusual. It's slightly unusual because it's about a name that does not actually appear on the pages of Scripture. If you want a task, go home, Google, check your coordinates, check all your information, find out how many times in the Word of God the name Lucifer occurs. Now, we might think, well, of course that's going to be there. Of course that that name must appear multiple times upon the pages of Scripture. It must be in many places. Certainly in the book of Revelation, we must come across the name Lucifer. When in reality, brothers and sisters in Christ, we will not find it on the pages of Scripture. The name does not come from Isaiah. That'll be our first point. Where does this name come from? Where where do we get this term, Lucifer? Why why is it so common amongst our, our, our conversation? Why are we so quick to to make an association between this this being or this name of Lucifer and Satan or the devil? Why why do we make that? Why is now, well, I'm not sure it's a popular TV show, but at least it's a television show today, capture our imagination with its advertisements about Lucifer. As if, oh sure, everybody knows who this is. And yet the name does not appear upon the pages of Scripture. Now if you do your searching, what you're going to come to is you're going to Come to Isaiah chapter 14. This is supposedly the passage and text where it comes from. If you're reading from an ESV, if you're reading from an NIV, if you're reading from an RSV or just about every version you're going, you're somewhat bewildered because you can't find the name in there anywhere. It's because in the Hebrew it is not there. 
say, well, at least pin it down for us, Pastor Bob. What, what is the specific verse where we're supposed to find this? Well, that would be Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. Let me read it again. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. Say, well, I'm missing it. Well, it, it has to deal with that phrase, O day star. In the Hebrew, the, the prophet Isaiah used the word Hallel, H-E-L-E-H. I'm not sure I pronounced it right, but you wouldn't know if I didn't anyway, except for a couple of you. It simply means brightness. That's what it means in the Hebrew. Some of you are saying, why does my King James, if you have a King James, read as follows. How you are fallen from heaven, Lucifer, son of the dawn. Why does my King James use the term Lucifer and not Odaystar? Well, to make a long story short, the term Lucifer, the name Lucifer, the title, I, I think that'd probably be the more appropriate term to use here. The title Lucifer comes from Latin. It doesn't come from Hebrew. It doesn't come from Greek. It comes from Latin. When Jerome made his translation of the scriptures into Latin, into the Vulgate, when he came to this text, he looked at this text and he said, Odaystar, that sounds like a title. That sounds like the title of a star, not the designation of when the star appears. It's the title, it's the name of the star. In Latin, that title would be Lucifer, or somewhat close to it. So as Jerome is writing his Latin version of the scriptures, verse 12 includes, O Lucifer, son of dawn. Say, well, what's that got to do with my King James, which is written in English? Well, somewhere around three, four, five hundred is when that Jerome did his work and translated the, the scriptures into Latin. 1611, we hasten forward. A Catholic king commissions the writing of a scripture. By 1611, okay, the Catholic church is inundated with Latin. Everything is in Latin, right? Okay, the worship service is in Latin. People sing in Latin. There's Gregorian chants in Latin. The Mattis is held in Latin. Everything is in Latin. The scriptures that they're reading from are Latin. You're trying to convince a Catholic king of the legitimacy of God's word. What do you suppose the writers in 1611 of the King James Version did when they came to Isaiah 14, verse 12? Are we going to throw the whole thing out? Are we going to expose this problem, this difficulty? Or are we simply going to put in the same name that Jerome put in when he translated it? Lucifer. We'll put in Lucifer. So they put in the title Lucifer. So your King James Version continues to hold on to that term, 
that name. Which, okay, you, you have to understand, is a translation of the translation. Right? It's, it's not the original. It's, it's not like this is the original Hebrew. In the original Hebrew, we find no such word as Lucifer. That's what you get in Latin. That's what was copied over into the King James Bible. Now, I'm not saying that to somehow diss the King James Bible. Okay? I'm saying what I'm saying is that's the reason you don't find it in Isaiah 14:12 in your ESV and most other versions that are out there. It's because there was a recognition of the fact that the term Odestar was not a title. It was not designating the specific name of a star, which is what Jerome thought it was doing. Hence the title Lucifer. What we've come to understand is that is simply the title of the star that appears in the morning. Now, in God's providence, interestingly enough, when I arrived at church here this morning, guess what? The day star was out. The day star, and you probably see it tomorrow morning if you get up before the sun, you'll see it. It's the star that signifies the start of the day. At this time of year, I believe it's Venus, although... My meteorologic work isn't all that great, but I, I think I read that in the commentary as well, that that's the one that appears this time of year. So it's simply designating a particular star, the day star. Now, I have to note, because some people get real upset because they go, well, wait a minute, isn't Jesus Christ the day star? No, read your Bibles clearly. Jesus Christ is the morning star. That's the designation that is given to Christ. This title is never given to Christ. So, where did we get the name from? Where does it come from? Okay, hopefully you, you got, it's got to do with this day star. It's all about this star business. And is it a title? Is it a name? Jerome turns it into Lucifer. So we have the name Lucifer. But who's the passage talking about? That's perhaps the greater question. The, the greater question then before us is, well, who's Isaiah talking about in Isaiah chapter 14? Now, we can go three ways. One, we can say he's talking about a man. Two, we can say he's talking about Satan. Three, we can say... He's talking about both. In the reform camp, we look at this text and we say, this passage is about both. There are elements in Isaiah chapter 14 that give us information about that can, that can only be true of a man. Yet there are things, there are parts of Isaiah 14 that can refer only to a spiritual being and not a man. So let, let's look at this in terms of how does Isaiah chapter 14 tell us about a man? Well, it's about the king of Babylon. The context of the passage is saying this. Look, Isaiah's message to the people of Judah is this. You're going to go into captivity. Nebuchadnezzar is going to make you slaves 
and you're going to be gone for 70 years. Isaiah 14. But God is going to be gracious. God's going to allow you to come back. And the question then that is raised, well, what happens to this mighty king of Babylon? What happens to mighty king Nebuchadnezzar? Well, that's what Isaiah is telling us about here. He's telling us about this man, this king of Babylon. And when you read Isaiah 14 in the context of thinking, well, what does this tell us about the man? It tells us this, that this man was puffed up with sin. The sin of pride. There is an arrogance being placed before us when we read Isaiah chapter 14. An arrogance that we do find in the chronological record, don't we? About Nebuchadnezzar. Think of the passage, for example, in the book of Daniel. When we have Nebuchadnezzar walking around on the city walls going, Look what I have done! Look what I have made! I, I'm a god! And what happens? The Lord comes and speaks to him and says, I'm going to make you into an animal. Because of your pride, I'm going to break you. I'm going to humble you. One of the interesting things is you say, well, why is he designated as a star? Why would you say, oh, day star? Why would you say some king is a star? Put on the thinking cap. Stop and think. Go back to the book of Numbers, chapter 24. We have a man by the name of Balaam. He's prophesying. He's prophesying only the words that God allows to come out of his mouth. What does he say? Out of you shall arise a star, O Jacob. Why does, why does God say that Jesus Christ is going to be like a star? Because in the thinking of that day, the idea was that a world leader is one that is designated by the heavens. That heaven controls the designation of who is king and who isn't. Now in the pagan realm, okay, out of which Nebuchadnezzar comes, in the pagan realm that's given over to all sorts of other deities. Oh, there's a whole world going on up above the heavens and it's playing out and it's determining who's going to be king here and who's going to be king there. On the pages of Holy Scripture, it's not some pagan deity, it is the Lord God. It is the Lord God who raises up the kings of the earth. It is the Lord God who raises up the leaders. And it is the Lord God who is going to bring out of Jacob a star, his leader, his king. So we ought to be familiar with that language. So to read it here and to say in Isaiah 14, 12, well, this, could, this would appear to, to be a designation of a man would be entirely consistent with Scripture. It can be a man. It is a man. The text tells us it's a man. The text tells us this is about the king of Babylon who raised himself up in pride. Now, at this point, hold, hold your finger there. Let's go to a corresponding passage, which is the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38. Excuse me, 28. 
Ezekiel chapter 28. This time, the prophecy that is given to Ezekiel in the midst of, once again, captivity. It's not a prophecy about the king of Babylon because, you see, probably by the time Ezekiel, Nebuchadnezzar is long gone. We, we got other kings. Okay? So now we're on to the depiction in another way. Ezekiel chapter 28. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Say to the prince of Tyre, thus says the Lord God, because your heart is proud, you have said, I am a God. I sit in the seats of God in the heart of the sea, yet you are but a man and no God. Though you make your heart like the heart of a god, you are indeed wiser than Daniel. No secret is hidden from you. By your wisdom and your understanding, you have made wealth for yourself. You have gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. By your great wisdom in your trade, you have increased your wealth. Your heart has become proud in your wealth. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you make your heart like the heart of a god, therefore, behold, I will bring foreigners upon you, the most ruthless of the nations. They shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. They shall thrust you down into the pit, and you shall die the death of the slain in the heart of the seas. Will you still say, I am a god in the presence of those who kill you? But though you are a man and no god, in the heart of those who slay you, you shall die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of foreigners, for I have spoken, declares the Lord God. You see the similarity? We have a man, obviously a man. Ezekiel 28 cannot be more clear. You are not a God. You are a man. You are a man. You can't do these things. You are a man, king of Tyre. But we see the similarity, do we not, to Isaiah chapter 14. One who is filled with pride, one who is lifted up, one who thinks that, that they're smarter or wiser than God himself, who think that they can out-control God, out-sovereign God, out-power God. But yet, these designations are about but men. So, our, our first, who, who does... The term, even if we, we accept the term Lucifer, who does it refer to? It refers to men who lift themselves up, filled with pride, filled with arrogance, thinking that they are greater than God. In particular, we would say, it is rulers, it is kings of the earth who through their power, through their authority, become arrogant and prideful. That is who Lucifer is. So one, we need to sort of readjust our thinking here. If, if we're going to say that, that, that Lucifer will, will take Jerome's translation, will use Jerome's translation, okay, then, then we're dealing with a world leader. Whether it was the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, whether it's the king of Tyre, or many others who have come and gone over the course of human history. And yet we have to look at these texts and say, but there is more, isn't there? Something else is going on. Look at Isaiah chapter, keep your finger once again, still at Ezekiel 28. Go back to Isaiah 14. There's certain things here, though, that would be a puzzlement if they referred to only a human being. Verse 12, for example. 
how you are fallen from heaven. It would be hard to think of as to how that could apply to a mere mortal man. It's hard to understand, would it not be, how verse 13, that a human being could think that it could ascend to heaven above the stars of God and that one would sit on a throne high in the heavens. Now, particularly when we stop to consider, Nebuchadnezzar is no Neanderthal. Nebuchadnezzar is, is the king of, of perhaps one of the most advanced civilizations there are. Not only in terms of, of simply the economics of the day, the warfare of the day, but also the astrology of the day. They had a pretty well calculated how far them stars were out there in his day. Nebuchadnezzar is not naive enough to go, oh yeah, I can set a throne up above there. Those words have to apply them, not just to a mere mortal, but they have to apply to some other spiritual being. They have to apply to one of whom this is capable. Who is it that is capable of falling from heaven? Who is it that can think in their heart that they could ascend above the stars of God to rule? As you read over Isaiah chapter 14, you soon realize there are all sorts of statements every once in a while that come out and you go, well, yeah, I can see, Pastor Bob, you make sense when it says it applies to a man, but some of these things do not seem to apply to a man. Exactly. They do not. They apply to a spiritual being. So then we go back to Ezekiel chapter 28. Okay, now notice what happens. In the opening verses, 1 through 10, that's very clear it's a man. It's very clear it's the king of Tyre. But look what happens when we pick it up verse at verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the signet of perfection. Let me just stop and ask you, could that refer to any human being? I mean, there is no, I mean, we believe in the total depravity of man. We believe that man is born with original sin. God cannot say of a man, you were perfection. Full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle. And crafted in gold were your settings and your engraving. On the day you were created, they were prepared. Now, I, I know we believe in the, the beauty of man's creation, but God never refers to the creation of Adam in the garden as being created with all sorts of stones adorning his body. So this is a being that is being spoken of in the present. Because notice Ezekiel is to say over the king of Tyre and say to him. So he is to say it in the present. In Ezekiel's day, someone who existed in the Garden of Eden. A mortal? Human? 
not possible, is it? We have no such record of a man in the pages of Scripture. But let's continue on. Verse 14. You were anointed guardian cherub. So are we talking about a man now? Well, we were in the opening verses of Ezekiel chapter 28. But it seems we have changed. We have shifted. That we're no longer talking about a mortal man, but we're talking about some being. Some being that was at one time an anointed cherub who was placed on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways. On the day you were created, till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes upon you. By the multitude of your iniquities in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuary. So I brought fire out from your midst. It consumed you. And I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. So we go back to Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. Oh, how you have fallen, O day star, son of the dawn. To whom does it apply? Well, it applies to human kings who raise themselves up in pomp, in pride against the Lord. But it also applies to a spiritual being, a garden, guardian cherub, that was anointed by God, that was given by God a special place. who was created in perfection, but in his perfection, sin. Because his perfections led him to pride, to arrogance, to a desire to be above God. Now the question is, to whom is that a reference then? Who are we speaking of? Well, turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And it's verse 18 is where we're going to go, but we'll start at verse 17. I'm still on Luke 11, and that verse is not making any sense. Yes, Luke 10. My pages will not cooperate with me. Luke 10, verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I saw Satan fall. Now think back to, to what we read in Isaiah 14, 12. 
how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. Jesus' words are, I saw Satan fall like lightning. What did I tell you the word day star means in Hebrew? Brightness. What is lightning? Brightness. I saw Satan. So when we go back to Isaiah 14, in the eyes now of Jesus Christ, and apply that which Jesus tells us in Luke 10, what are we finding? We're finding that Isaiah is indeed referencing human beings, but those who are under the control and domination of the being that rightly is called Satan, the adversary, not brightness. See, that will become our problem. If we are going to accept Lucifer as a subname of Satan, then we're saying Lucifer is brightness. And I know we can go through the whole explanation. But we would be better off simply to stick with the words of Scripture. Jesus said, I didn't see Lucifer fall. I saw Satan fall. I saw the adversary fall. I saw the opponent fall. The disciples come back to him and say, even the demons listen to us. And Jesus said, you want to know why? Because I watched him fall. I was there at the moment that Satan was kicked out, was thrown down to the earth. I was there at the time when Satan lost his grip, when Satan lost his power, when Satan lost his control. I was there. See, we almost give Satan too much credit if we call him Lucifer. And you know, I've only seen little snippets of ads. But I think that show gives him way too much credit. Just from the little snippets of an ad here or there. And from what I've read about it. Jesus references this being as his adversary, as his opponent. Not as some brightness. So although the King James retains it, and we certainly understand the reason why, and we certainly okay, understand that the King James is not in any way saying, oh, he's a good guy. it would probably be best for us to understand biblically that it is in reference not only to those who are controlled, human beings, particularly leaders under the control of Satan, but it is a reference to Satan, the one who seeks to mimic, the one who seeks to be like Christ. It's not going to be the the morning star is going to be the day star. Christ is referenced as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And yet Peter tells us, what does Satan do? But he goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. See, the whole work of Satan is that in mimicking and seeking to destroy the work of Christ. Christ said, I saw him fall. That's why the demons are subject to you because he is subject to me as well. To a being 
to a fallen angel, a cherub, one of those that was in the very presence of God, one of those that, that was in the presence of His holiness, those that were assigned the responsibilities of covering. Remember when they build the Ark of the Covenant? The angels that they are commanded to build are not seraphim, the worshiping angels, but they are commanded to build cherubim, the guardian angels, the guardian cherub. Not a fat little puffy little lovable little guy with a bow and arrow. The ardent adversary of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Who although has been devoid of his position and power is not without strength, is not without guile, and is not without power. It's just not, he hasn't retained that which he had. He fell. He's been cast down. It's been gone. He is only a small caricature of that which he was. That's what both Isaiah and Ezekiel are trying to tell us. So let's move to our third point quickly. What is the outcome? Of those with that name. Well, let's think about what has happened. What happened to Nebuchadnezzar? He died and went to Sheol. <laughs> Portrayed for us by Ezekiel and particularly Isaiah as a venture down to this place called Sheol where he's welcomed by, oh, a whole bunch of other leaders who go, huh, fancy that, you're with us too, huh? <laughs> You thought you were all it. You wiped us off the face of the earth. Now look, you've got the same place we do. You've got maggots and you've got worms just like us. You who puffed yourself up, Nebuchadnezzar, are now lying in a grave with us. You, king of Tyre, who thought you could ascend above God, you're now dead. You're dead. In your place, your death is held so despicable that you're in the lowest reaches of this realm of death. Now the reality is that, is that not the way we think? I mean, think of others who fall into this category. The Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Tyre. The Caesars of Rome who declared themselves God. Where are they? The place of death. Like all the other leaders who raised themselves up. You know, it's sort of like the old TV show or the little thing you see sometimes in newspapers. Where are they now? Kind of surprised, aren't you, sometimes to see that child actor, what they were, your favorite child actor perhaps in in some old TV show, and now you see the picture and you go, oh, wow, time has not been gentle with them. Time has not been gentle with the rulers and leaders of this world. Where is Hitler? He's in the grave. Maggots and worms. Where's Stalin? Maggots and worms. Where's Mao? Maggots and worms. 
Where are all these world leaders? With all of their pomp and all of their pride. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. They are dead. In the pit of Sheol. In the lowest reaches. For they thought in their pride they could ascend above God. Where's Satan? Still moving around. Using various world leaders here and there. Raising them up. Who of us could deny that still the sin of human pride remains at the heart of humanity? Remains at our heart. Remains at the heart of world leaders. The day star, the sun of the dawn, is still at work. Seeking to puff up, seeking to build up, thinking that they're greater than God. Satan continues to go around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's here, upon this earth, upon this planet. This, O son of the dawn, you see, he has fallen. He has been cast out of heaven. He's simply, he's simply moving around upon this earth. He's the influence behind all that would oppose Christ. Why do we need an American Decency Council? Because he is indecent. Because he wants to subvert everything that Christ would seek to accomplish. Not only in this world, but in you and I as well. He goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Do you know one thing about a roaring lion? It always roars before it eats. You know it's coming. You just don't stick your head in his mouth, do you? See, we're warned. We know that. We know that. I'm not going there. That, that's, that's Satan territory. That's sticking my hot head in the mouth of a lion. That pride, that arrogance. Can't go down that road. Pity the nations, oh our God. Don't even realize what they're doing. But you see, there will come a day when the words that God spoke through Isaiah and through Ezekiel to those various world leaders are going to come true of Satan as well. For the time being, God allows him to be upon his leash. The time being, God allows him for his own purposes, for his own glory, to use the limited power he now has, to use the limited knowledge he now has, to use his limited position. You see, it's a whole different perspective, isn't it, upon the world? as far as whether you're in heaven and can see the whole thing, or whether you're on earth and can only see the patch of ground where you are. See, that's all Satan can do. He's been cast to the earth. 
He's limited. He doesn't know everything. He isn't all-powerful. He isn't an equal force in this world. I saw Satan cast down. Turn with me to one final passage. We know what happens to the leaders of this world, don't we? Revelation chapter 19 describes what happens to them, describes this great warfare that appears before Christ, with Christ and his armies against those who oppose him, who he slays with the sword of his mouth. But go with me to verse 7 of chapter 20. Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 7, and with this we'll end. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them, was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophets were, and they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. So what happens to this being? He ends like the Nebuchadnezzars of this world. He ends like the king of Tyre of this world. He ends defeated. And he ends forever under the judgment of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for clarifying in your word of whom we speak. Of seeing, Father, how we do, even as Paul reminded us, deal with principalities and powers that are beyond this world. And yet, Father, we have this glorious hope of the victory of Jesus Christ. Not that it's coming, but it has already come. For Satan has been cast down. What a blessing that text is. What a joy for us as believers to know that he is already defeated. Thank you for guarding us. Thank you for protecting us. Keep our head out of the mouth of that liar. In Christ's name, God's people say, Amen.